Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Monday, November 4th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins, with a summary of election news. Today, O'Rourke drops out. A New York Times poll looks at battleground states. The Trump impeachment stuff in three minutes or less. The Castro campaign prepares for layoffs. More details on the November DNC debate. And new polls help two candidates qualify for the December DNC debate. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up, on Friday, Beto O'Rourke dropped his bid for the presidency. After declaring his campaign way back on March 14th, he spent 232 days in the race. Now, according to my math, that is the longest run of any candidate who has dropped out at this point. As with all candidates who drop out, let's take a look back at his candidacy. O'Rourke came into the race fresh off of an unsuccessful bid for Senate in Texas. He had tried to defeat Senator Ted Cruz and didn't quite make it. But during that Senate run, he gained national attention for, you know, almost defeating an incumbent Republican in a red state. That national profile helped O'Rourke with fundraising, at least early on. Reading from an article in the New York Times by Alexander Burns, quote, In the earliest days of his campaign, Mr. O'Rourke was a fundraising powerhouse, collecting more than $6 million in his first day as a candidate. But his fundraising cratered almost immediately. He raised more in his first 48 hours than in the following 100 days, and steadily depleted his campaign treasury by spending more than he was taking in. End quote. By the middle of last week, O'Rourke's campaign was in dire straits financially, facing the possibility of laying off staff in order to remain afloat. Reading from a post on Medium by O'Rourke titled simply, Thank You, quote, Though it is difficult to accept, it is clear to me now that this campaign does not have the means to move forward successfully. My service to the country will not be as a candidate or as the nominee. Acknowledging this now is in the best interests of those in the campaign. It is in the best interests of this party as we seek to unify around a nominee, and it is in the best interests of the country. End quote. He goes on to discuss his campaign and his achievements during it, and to thank his supporters. He also says he will work to support the eventual Democratic nominee. So, let's listen back to one key moment from the O'Rourke campaign. The most notable moment for O'Rourke came in the wake of tragedy. When a shooter drove to El Paso in order to shoot people at a local Walmart, O'Rourke's hometown was visited by domestic terrorism. This led to a major change in how he talked about gun safety, and to some extent about race and immigration. Let's listen to a clip from Sunday, August 4th, in which O'Rourke spoke to folks about how he would react to the shootings. This happened at sunset at a vigil in El Paso. Listen in. I am so proud of El Paso at this moment, a community that will not be defined by the murders that we saw yesterday, but instead in the way that we choose to overcome them, define ourselves by our love, our courage, our confidence, and our strength in the face of this weakness and fear and intolerance, and the example that we will provide to the rest of the country. That our differences are not dangerous, they do not define us, they will not divide us, that once and for all we will choose to come together and ensure that every single American can live to their full potential and they will look to us here in El Paso for the example. Are you ready to provide that? Yeah. We must 
do this. Let's keep every single one of those families in our prayers. Let's continue to share the story of El Paso and Ciudad Juarez and this binational community with the rest of the world. And then let's listen to Manuel and Patricia, who remind us that in addition to the racism and the hatred and the fear and the intolerance, we are a country that has accepted thus far 40,000 gun deaths every single year. No other country comes close, and we know the solutions. Universal background checks where we close every single loophole. An end to the sale of assault weapons. making sure that we adopt red flag laws so that anyone who poses a danger to themselves or to someone else, someone in your life or their lives is stopped before it is too late. Although O'Rourke has been encouraged by many to run for the other Senate seat in Texas, he has repeatedly declined to do that. I have seen no indication that he will run for any office in 2020, and now just 17 major Democratic candidates remain. The Election Ride Home is sponsored today by Mac Weldon. Now listen up, I do a lot of work in the yarden. I can tell you, yard work can get stinky. Well, here comes Mac Weldon to the rescue. They make men's underwear and shirts out of fabric that is naturally antimicrobial. Translation, it eliminates odors. Of course, I wanted to test this out, so I bought a bunch of this antimicrobial underwear and shirts, plus a pair of sweatpants. I put the combo on and went out in the yard to saw up tree limbs and do my normal routine. At the end, yeah, I'll admit it, I did a sniff test. And guess what? This stuff really works, especially the underwear. It does not smell. I've been so happy with my Mack Weldon outfits that I went back and bought more. I like the t-shirts especially. The fabric feels great. And in fact, every item of clothing I am wearing right now is made by Mack Weldon. That means one set of clothing works great for both podcasting and heavy lifting. You just don't get that every day from other brands. With Mack Weldon, that's quality you can count on. I want you to try this out for yourself. Try the silver underwear. If you're not happy with your first pair of underwear, you can keep it and they'll send you a refund, no questions asked. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code ELECTION. Once more, that's MacWeldon.com, promo code ELECTION for 20% off your first order. My thanks to Mac Weldon for sponsoring today's Election Ride Home. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This morning, the New York Times published a series of polls conducted by Siena College. They looked at battleground state predictions for President Trump versus the three top polling Democrats in the primary. And the way most people read this poll was to look at one graphic right at the top and flip out. So let's talk about that graphic and how we might better understand it. The graphic shows a grid of state-by-state matchups. 
In each cell is a matchup between a Democrat and Trump among registered voters in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Florida, Arizona, and North Carolina. And looking at that Biden column, gosh, there's a lot of Biden winning. He wins four states by anywhere from 2% to 5% against Trump. They're tied in one state, and he loses one to Trump by 2%. Now, compare this to Sanders, who wins three states and loses three states, all by margins of 1% to 3%. And compare this to Warren, who wins one state, ties two, and loses three. The spread there is between 2 and 6%. Alright, so on first viewing, you might be inclined to look at this graphic and say, oh crap, the only Democrat in this list who can win these states is Biden. And in fact, that's how the Times put it in their headline. They say Biden is ahead of Trump, but Warren is behind Trump. And that is a legitimate way to look at this poll. But let's go a little bit deeper. As always, with polls, we have to talk about methodology, particularly the margin of error. The margin of error for five of the six states I just mentioned is plus or minus 4.4%. And for Michigan, it's plus or minus 5.1%. So, in other words, every result in that graphic, whether it is a win or a loss, is within the margin of error, with just two exceptions. Those are Biden at plus 5 in Arizona, which is less than 1% outside the margin, and Warren at minus 6 in Michigan, which, again, is less than 1% outside the margin. Now, I'm not saying that every one of these results is incorrect. That would be a huge reach. But I am saying the margin of error is a real thing. The simplest way to read this poll, from my perspective, is to say, wow, in these battleground states, it really is close. Now, which of these three Democrats or the other Democrats is the best option? Well, that's a harder case to make based on this data. That's what the primary needs to be about, and there are a lot of factors that could change between now and the actual vote in 2020. Quoting NPR political editor Domenico Montanaro on Twitter, quote, Polls show right now that the 2020 election next year will probably be close in the states that matter, and who turns out is going to be key. Cool. End quote. Now, beyond the margin of error, the psychological effect of big numbers versus small numbers is real. However, in winning elections, it doesn't matter whether you win big or just win. That's how Trump won in 2016. He narrowly won a bunch of states, and those wins add up. He could do that again, or a Democrat could have a similar result. Nate Silver of 538 alluded to that in a two-part tweet this morning. Quote, the difference between Biden's performance versus Trump and Warren slash Bernie's is about the same in those upshot state polls as in most other polls this year. It looks a lot bigger, because in most other polls, all the leading Democrats have big leads, and they don't in the upshot polls. When Biden leads by 9 or 10 and Warren slash Bernie lead by 6 or 7, nobody notices much. But when Biden leads by one or two and Warren slash Bernie trail by one or two, it looks huge. It's actually the same two to three point gap, though. End quote. All of this is to say, take your polling with grains of salt. Listen to people who are professional pollsters when they tell you things about how to understand their own polls, especially if some results are actually within the margin of error. And Cohn, the author of the Times story about these polls, actually did that in two ways. 
First, he took to Twitter, link in the show notes, to discuss the various reasons why these results differ by design from other major polls. Now, that may mean they're more accurate, that they represent a better prediction than other pollsters right now. Part of this is by making sure these polls did a solid job of polling white, non-college-educated voters. But Cohn is saying up front, hey, this poll design is notably different and arguably better. The question there becomes, basically, is he right? Is that poll design better or not? And I'm not sure how we test that without holding an election. Just because it's a different design doesn't make it correct or incorrect, but it does say, hey, this one is not like the others, and it's like that on purpose. At the same time, Cohn actually says in the Times story that the very first graphic shows results that are within this poll's margin of error. Now, it's kind of easy to miss that because it's one sentence in this long litany of images that seem to paint a different picture. But again, the margin is a key grain of salt that we must consider when reading a poll. Reading once more from the Times, quote, Across the six closest states that went Republican in 2016, Trump trails Joe Biden by an average of two points among registered voters, but stays within the margin of error. End quote. And now, the Trump impeachment news in three minutes or less. Over the weekend, the big news was that the whistleblower's lawyer said the whistleblower themselves would answer written questions from Republican members of Congress. And going further, the lawyer said these questions could be submitted directly without having to go through the congressional process. And even more, the responses would be, quote, in writing, under oath, and penalty of perjury, end quote. So that was the offer. Well, Republicans were not having it. Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio wrote in part, quote, Last week's testimony raised even more concerns about the anonymous whistleblower and our need to hear from them in person, end quote. Today, despite Congress being technically in recess, private depositions in the impeachment inquiry continued. Well, they tried to continue anyway. Two key witnesses scheduled for today, Robert Blair and John Eisenberg, failed to show up for their testimony in the morning despite subpoenas. And although I am saying this before it actually happens, the other two key witnesses for the day are also expected not to show up. In a CNN story on Saturday, Manu Raju and Jeremy Erb wrote about how Democrats might handle this blanket refusal of key witnesses to actually show up and testify. The choice boils down to engaging in a long legal fight to try to get those witnesses, or just take what they've already got and lay it out. In an interesting twist, that latter option might just be the plan. Reading from CNN, quote, A number of House Democrats told CNN that it's time for that next step, saying they've already built enough evidence to advance the proceedings to the public stage. This isn't an Agatha Christie novel, this is a shakedown, said Representative Jamie Raskin, a Democrat from Maryland who has taken part in the closed-door depositions. I think we have established an overwhelming case, but we have got very careful prosecutors on the staff who rightfully want to leave no witness unexamined, and they want every detail to be nailed down as much as possible. That's good. Raskin added, But at a certain point, we have to say, there's just been an overwhelming case that high crimes and misdemeanors have likely been committed against our country. End quote. In that context, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has indicated that public hearings could begin this month, and transcripts of closed-door testimony have just started to be released. As I read this, two transcripts from mid-October have just been released. So presumably, I'll have more on that for you tomorrow. 
Last week, I reported that Julian Castro just barely made his fundraising goal by Halloween, and that last-minute push actually made up the great majority of his overall October fundraising. In a CNN story on Saturday, Dan Marica notes that the Castro campaign is preparing to lay off some staff. Reading from CNN, quote, It was clear inside the San Antonio-based campaign, even before the push began, that the future was uncertain for the Texas Democrat. The Castro campaign senior leadership told staffers before they announced their fundraising push that whether or not they hit the number, staff should feel free to look for other opportunities. And even when the campaign hit the fundraising goal, Castro's senior aides again told staff that the campaign would likely have to make staffing adjustments to press on. That has led some Castro aides to look for jobs with other campaigns. A source said Castro has no plans to drop out at this point, but that the campaign's senior leadership wanted to be as clear as possible with staff about the campaign's forthcoming strategic decisions and not spring the news on them. End quote. So add Castro to the list, along with Harris, of candidates who are restructuring their campaigns to focus on just a few early voting states. And now some debate news confirming a very strong rumor from last week. The November DNC debate will be held at Tyler Perry Studios in Atlanta. But the new information is the timing. It'll take place from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern on November 20th. That is both later in the day and shorter overall than recent debates. And we'll just have to see whether it makes a difference to how the debate works. And last up today, a little more debate news. A bunch of new polls came out over the weekend. To summarize their effect on the DNC debate stages, well, it's pretty simple. Senator Kamala Harris picked up her fourth qualifying poll for December, so she is locked in. Plus, Senator Amy Klobuchar picked up her third qualifying poll also for December, so she is close. The polls gave no help to anybody else for either debate. Keep in mind, the November qualifying period ends on November 13th, and Representative Tulsi Gabbard currently has three qualifying polls for that debate. So, if she gets one more in the next nine days, she will be the 10th person on the November debate stage. Right now, only five candidates have technically qualified for December, though I do expect that number to increase. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. To close out the show today, two things come to mind. First, Sunday, yesterday, was the one-year mark until the general election in 2020. So we are now within that one-year window, and we are speeding toward Iowa as well. The second thing is that many of us are facing our own local elections tomorrow. Out here in Oregon, we had a series of ballot measures, and because we are 100% vote by mail, my wife and I filled out our ballots at the kitchen table and just dropped them in the box. We even get text messages when they are sent and received. For those of you who've never voted by mail or voted absentee, I highly recommend it. It takes a lot of pressure off of any given Tuesday. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.